Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Marcus Sheridan. He's a best-selling author. He's a keynote speaker and the owner at a fiberglass pool manufacturing company. So Marcus, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. Man, it's a pleasure to be here, Tots. We're having a good conversation. I got a good vibe about this one. Awesome, perfect. So I was looking through your profile and you have a best-selling author, keynotes, but one thing sort of stuck out, which uh, you studied foreign language. What's that about? <laughs> so I actually lived in Chile for a couple of years. I was a missionary for my church. And this was when I was like 19 years old. So I left, went to college one year and served in, in Chile for two years. And I'm like, when I was done with that, I'm like, look, I'm ready to work. And so I didn't want to keep doing school. So I said, what's the quickest way to graduate from university? <laughs> well, I could take a test. And I already spoke better Spanish than all of my professors that weren't native. And so I, I like clipped out of like two years worth of Spanish classes. And then I, and I ended up graduating essentially on time, even though I took two years off school. So that's the reason for it. And I just wanted to get a job, right? And so, and, and that's what's funny is I, I ended up getting a job, didn't like it, came back to where I grew up. My two buddies had just started a pool company and then the rest is history, as they say. Awesome. So buddies started a pool company. I mean, was it, is it easy? Were there some hurdles? I mean, oh you know, my when, goodness, yeah. <laughs> pain, man. I mean, so we started. It, what's interesting about the Riverpool story, and you know, Riverpools, we didn't know. Of course, like most businesses, we didn't know what we were going to be when we grew up. And at first, I thought we were going to be a hot tub company, a above ground pool company. We were going to sell chemicals. We we're going to all these things. And within about three years, it started to become apparent that we weren't going to be all those things. And because typical case of jack of all trades, master of none, right? And once we started to develop a clear focus, we became much, much better, right? And this is actually talked about in the book, Good to Great, but we realized we could be the best at fiberglass pools, or at least we, we thought we could, there was a, an opportunity, a lane there, if you will. But there was a lot of struggles, man. I mean, I went through embezzlements. I went through, which it turns out that's a big problem, especially for small businesses, right? This is a really big problem. We went through issues of, major issues of cash flow. And then, of course, in 2008, when the market crashed, I thought we were going to lose everything. And by that point in 2008, so we started in 2001, I had like 16 employees and really thought we were going to go out of business. But the cool thing about pain, right? is it forces us to do things that we probably should have been doing already, but uh -huh. we just hadn't yet done. So in my case, for a while, I had been feeling, you know what? Internet is changing everything about the way buyers buy, and you need to really lean into it. So I started reading online like about inbound marketing, content marketing, social media, all that stuff. And now, really what I heard in my simple pool guy mind, if you will, was, you know, Marcus, if you just obsess over your customers' questions and you're willing to address them honestly, transparently, openly, on your website, through text, through video, you might save your business. 
So I said, well, just something I can do. And so I called it, they ask you answers. I said, if anybody's got a question, we're going to address it. We're going to become like the Wikipedia of pools. (laughs) And, uh, And that's exactly what ended up happening within a few years. We were the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. And it went so well, Tots, that I started to write about what I was doing, what I was seeing. And that led to me getting requests from other companies to, hey, can you teach me that thing that you did with your pool company? And so, of course, today, I've got an agency that's got about 70 employees. I speak full-time around the world, except during pandemics. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. And we still have the swimming pool company. It's incredibly successful. And there's actually way more to the story, but that was the, that was the nutshell of the story. It's been an amazing ride, but it all happened because of this mindset of, let's be the best in the world at answering our customers' questions, regardless of whether they be good, bad, or ugly. And that's the key, Tots, is all of them. You can't be selective. All of them. Oh, I, I love that. And I'm going to touch on one of the ones that are, is a hot button sort of topic that comes to mind for me. But before that, I want to ask you, what are the excuses you hear? Like, you know, Marcus, you're doing all these great things, but that's you and our business is different. Like, what, what, what have you heard? I would argue that this belief of we're different is the biggest killer of business success in the digital age. I mean, it's, it's really rather stunning. You know who's crushing it? It's the companies that realize they're actually not very different, that their buyers are just like other buyers, and they're all humans. And once you accept that, you stop looking for excuses as to why it wouldn't work for you. And you stop latching on to the past because the past, although it may have worked well for you, it's not necessarily going to carry you into the next generation of buyers. And that's what we've seen, right? And so this is right. This is the journey that uh, we've been on. And it's, it, it's, it's crazy because I never said, yeah, but we're special. Yeah, but we're different. If you really look at what, just let's call it they ask you answer is, it's the willingness to listen and therefore teach so well that you become the most trusted voice in the marketplace. So it's a conversation on trust. And if I said to anybody, is trust fundamental to your business? They'd say, yes. B2B, B2C, service product, big, small, local, national, trust is fundamental to your business. If I said to you, will trust be fundamental to your business in 20 years? You'd say yes. And so what we're talking about is trust. The problem is we say, I don't know about this whole video thing. I don't know about this whole content thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about trust. Wonderful. So Marcus, okay, so one question, this, this, is, this is the one that I'm curious about, is you talk about putting your prices out there, right? Now, mm. some people's pricings are tiered and all that stuff. How do you think about that and putting that out there? This is one of those. So when it comes to they ask you answer, there's basically five subjects that move the needle in every industry. Again, service product doesn't matter, B2C. The five major subjects that you and I research before we generally ever buy something these days, we want to know how much does it cost. So we want to know about pricing, rates, all that information, what defines value. We want to know what are the negatives or the issues with it. Because guess what? The only time you research what's wrong with something is when you're actually looking to buy it. Mm. Number three, we love to compare. 
We love comparisons because we want to feel like we've done our due diligence. Number four is we want to see what everybody's saying about it, reviews. Number five, we want to know what the best is. Think about how many times you've searched online, best, such and such. So cost, problems, comparisons, reviews, best. Those are the five, call them the big five. They literally run the economy. And what's so fascinating is businesses don't like to talk about these five things. <laughs> and so it creates a paradox. So you've got the buyer who is very interested in the thing. The business doesn't want to talk about the thing. And so that's a, that's a, that's a problem. But you can't be an ostrich with your head in the sand. So let's talk about the first one, cost and price, to your, to your point, Tats. If you talk to anybody and you say, when you're on a website and you're researching cost and price, you're looking for it and can't find it, what's your emotion in that moment? Everybody mm-hmm. says the same thing, frustration. I get frustrated. You say to them, okay, so in that moment, do you call the company? They'll laugh like, I don't call the company. So in that moment, how long do you stay on the website and just keep looking? We know we've done the studies on this. On average, it's less than 10 seconds. Because instead of looking on the website further, instead of calling the company, what we do as buyers, as searchers, is we keep searching. And generally, we do that until we find the answer we're looking for. Once again, generally, whoever gives us the answer we're looking for, they're going to get our business. And if not our business, they're going to get first contact, first phone call. And if you talk to anybody and you said, would you rather be first or second contacted? Anybody's going to say that has half a brain. I want to be first. I want to be first contacted. And so that's how we've all evolved. That's how we've evolved. Yet, if you talk to most people and say, yeah, but do you talk about cost and price on your website? They'll say, well, no, you don't understand. Of course I understand. Now, there's three major reasons why we don't like to talk about cost and price. These are the excuses we tell ourselves. First one is, well, every job is different and it depends. That's the easiest one to explain. In fact, it's the most important to explain because if you don't explain that, how can they define value? And so part of this is explaining what drives costs up, what keeps costs down, why are some companies expensive, why are some companies cheap? But if you don't do that, the marketplace is ignorant and that's what commoditizes. So this idea of, well, it depends, explain why it depends. Second reason why we don't like to talk about costs and price is we say, well, it'll scare them away. That's actually not true. Based on all buyer psychology and behaviors, we know what scares them away is ignorance when they can't find answers, when they can't find what they're looking for. That's what scares somebody away. And so if you educate them and tell them clearly why the thing is what it is, that's attractive. If you won't even address it and say, call for quote, that's essentially the middle finger of the internet. Ain't going to happen, right? The third reason why we don't like to talk about cost and price is we say dumb stuff like, well, our competitors are going to find out what we're charging. Just absolutely insane. Because if you went to anybody that's been in sales for any period of time and you said, do you know what your competitors charge or at least have a good sense as to what your competitors charge? They're going to say, yeah, of course I do. I've been around the block. And so if you know what they charge, guess what? They know what you charge. This is a big secret, non-secret. Everybody acts like nobody knows what everybody's charging. When in reality, everybody knows what everybody else is charging. And so you have to ask yourself, when was the last time my competitors paid my bills? They never have. Why would we ever base a decision on trust? on what our competitors are or are not doing. Besides, if we're doing that, we're reactive, not proactive. Proactivity wins the day, especially online, right? You, you set the standards. You create the rules for your industry, period. Plain and simple, right? And so the thing is, when you're talking about cost and price, 
it's not about necessarily putting a number on the screen. It is about teaching those major factors, what drives it up and what drives it down. Help me understand how to buy the thing, what to look for. That's what defines value. That's what defines value proposition. And if you do that, you won't scare me away, but you're going to make me say, finally, somebody was willing to address the thing. We did this with our pool company. We're the first pool company in the world to address how much does a fiberglass pool cost on our website. And that one single article that took me 45 minutes to write on my kitchen table since the day it was written has generated over $15 million in sales. Think about that. That's $15 freaking million in sales for 45 minutes worth of writing on my kitchen table. You want to talk about ROI? Now, that's a serious return on investment. Yet companies to this day will make excuses and reasons why they can't do it. And that's because they're refusing to A, look in the mirror and say, well, what I want is a buyer. And B, they're refusing to accept that buyers have changed and they expect more. And if they don't get it, they're going to go somewhere else. That's 2021 and beyond. That's where we all are. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So when a salesperson says, hey, no, I want to handle the interaction and stuff. It's like, eh, they're going to go other, elsewhere and you're going to lose their trust. Is that sort of the, the rundown? It's this idea that you can completely dictate the buying experience for your customers is so bloody naive. Yeah, of course, if we, if, if we had a choice, we would get in front of them every time. I mean, we would do the big pitch, whatever. But I don't know. At the same time, here's what's amazing. Because I have a company that teaches other companies how to do what we're talking about here, I've had hundreds of companies talk about cost and price on their website over the years, B2B and B2C. And they all say the same thing. Once they do it, lo and behold, the leads get better. <laughs> oh my goodness. And the sales team, after pushing back at first, suddenly says, wow, why were we not doing this before? Our conversations are so much better. No salesperson wants to deal with an ignorant buyer that doesn't have a clue as to the value proposition of something. That's just setting up that salesperson for failure. And so if we have the choice and we can teach them and can ensure that the sales call, that initial conversation is a much better experience, why would we not? Right? Why would we not? This is the choice that we have. And so do you want to be the best teacher in the world? Do you want to be that voice of trust in your space or not? That's always the option. That makes sense. So if we talk about, let's say our, our customers are contractors, right? So we talked to pricing about the contractors, but the property owner knows about the price that we're talking to the contractor about online. In essence, if the contractor runs a transparent business, it should help their business too, correct? I mean, just think about that. Would you appreciate that if you were the buyer? Answer, yes, yes. And the thing about it is, if you're open and willing to talk about price, it should literally like if you're more expensive, you should be able to say, are we more expensive? Yes, absolutely. Here's all the reasons why we're more expensive. Now, based on that, which do you align with more so? And then the customer says, oh, wonderful. They're 10% more. Based on this, I'd pay 20% more. Or you can have the other ones that say, that's not worth the extra 10% to me. I'm going to go elsewhere. Well, guess what? Newsflash, you want to win that deal anyway. You were going to win that customer. So if you weren't going to win the customer, why not be more honest and forthright on the front end? Awesome. Perfect. So I'm going to sort of pivot to your newer book, the, the, the Visual Sale. Now, why did you write that? And what, what can you do with video that'll just add to that trust and transparency? Man, I mean, you know, 
this whole video thing is just nuts, isn't it? Everything is becoming about, I want to see it. I want to see it, feel it, touch it, taste it before I buy it. Now, you can't generally touch it, especially in a freaking COVID world, right? You can't go there and see it. You can't touch it. You can't taste it oftentimes. You can't feel it. But the one thing that might help you to achieve that is seeing it, right? And more than ever in the history of the world, today, seeing is believing. How many companies say the same thing? We give the best service. <laughs> it's our people that make us different, right? These are the things that we hear them say. Well, if everybody is saying it in the marketplace, what does it mean? It's just noise until you show the thing. And so with my digital sales and marketing company, I said to them about four years ago, I said, look, guys, video is the future. It's the future of marketing, it's the future of sales. And we need to teach our customers how to create a culture of video in-house. Everybody said to me, uh, no, that's not how it works, Marcus. They're not going to create their own videos. And they're just going to outsource it. And that's where the money's at, outsourcing, like as an agency. I'm like, I'm calling BS on that. I think there's a market for this. And so since then, we've, we've trained well over 100 companies on how to create this culture in-house. Every single one of these companies has an in-house videographer. Like they own their junk. The future of the internet is being able to produce your own content. You will not see exceptional world-class case studies by outsourcing your stuff all the time. Now, is there some outsourcing that's always going to happen that is, that is good and valid? Yes. And in fact, when it comes to content or video, I would consider about 80% of it should be done in-house. 20% might need to bring in somebody that's got more skills, right? So you might say, okay, as an organization, let's produce all the videos in terms of educational videos, sales-based videos, all that stuff. And then you do that one amazing video a year and you bring in a production company to help with that. Okay, fine. No problem. So that's my philosophy. That's my opinion. I'm not saying it's right for everybody, but I've got data. And data doesn't tend to lie about these things. <laughs> and I've seen the companies that have experienced world-class growth and I've seen the ones that have not. Riverpool's the same way, right? And I can remember 2009 producing my first YouTube video. I mean, what a disaster that was. But it was a win because I published it, right? Mm. And of course, we've had millions of views since then. And so the idea that we can ignore video is like having your lounge chair on the beach and the tide's coming up and you know it's coming up, and you know you're going to get wet, and the waves are going to hit you, but saying to yourself, I just don't think the tide is going to come up today. The tide always comes up, and you always get your lounge chair wet unless you get up and you move backwards. That's how it works. So video is the rising tide. It's undeniable. We're all media companies, whether we like it or not. Think like a media company. You don't need to probably hire another salesperson. You got enough probably in your company right now. Who do you need? A videographer that costs less than 50% of a salesperson and is going to bring 10x the returns over the next few years because this person is going to increase the closing rates of all the sales team. This person's going to get more qualified leads for said sales team. They're going to change the entire company and they don't cost a ton. Why more companies don't do this? Is it a little bit mind blowing? Now, understand somewhat. Because, right, you didn't have to worry about it pre-internet. 
like, guys, the internet has been running hardcore for 25 years. 1996, 97 was the year electronic mail became mainstream for businesses, right? Think about that. 96, 97. A whole bunch of businesses pushed back on that at the time. A lot of salespeople pushed back on that at the time. And of course, how'd that work out for them? Not too well. They got left behind or they got on board. And so we are today with video where we were in 96, 97 with email. It is the future of the way that we sell, the way that we show, the way that we market. Everybody needs the ability to do this in-house. And I'm not saying you got to become Steven Spielberg, you personally, but you sure as heck better bring somebody in that can facilitate this, and make it possible. I'm not an editor. I mean, really, I'm not. But I've brought in people to do that. Now, if I was a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, and it was just me, guess what? I'd have the title of editor as well. Mm, yeah. So yeah, we're a believer. Our video is in-house. But I'm curious. I mean, when you approach video, what does your team look like? You mentioned videographer, you mentioned editor, but what's that composition to create great storytelling and content? You only need, well, I mean, actually, only need one thing. You just need, you need somebody that is a subject matter expert that can talk to the camera and they can mm. be the own, they can be their own videographer, editor. They can, they, we can all do that. And we've all done that to a certain degree, right? But once you start putting some meat on the bone here, the first thing you want to do, let's say you have a head of marketing in your company. Next position is either you get a videographer or you get a journalist with videographer-like skills. Mm. So maybe it's somebody with a journalism degree with a minor in mass media. Or you get somebody, depending, again, depending on the size of your company, you get somebody that's got a journalism degree and then you get a videographer. That's the best setup. Why? Because the journalist is always the facilitator on camera with your subject matter experts, videographers behind the camera. So then you can just take off. Most of your people are actually good on camera. You don't know it because you haven't put them in a position to be effective on camera. A little bit of training, a little bit of you know tips and tricks. You can You can just do it so much easier. For example, instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to record you and start talking about this thing, that sets them up for failure usually. You say, listen, I just want you to talk to such and such here, our content manager, this recent journalist graduate. This person is going to interview you on camera. Talk to them just like you would a customer. And by doing that, now they can do what they've been doing every single day that they've worked for you, is talking to customers. And that puts them in a position to win and to really enjoy the process and to be very natural on camera. Wonderful. So Marcus, you have many different companies. You have a great personal brand, but there's a company brand. How do you make the company stuff align with your personal brand? I'm always wondering how people think about those two things. That's a good question, Tass. It's not necessarily easy because, you know, in my case, I've got some very different companies, right? So we've got this digital sales and marketing company that is all about training and education, right? Then I've got a swimming pool company that installs pools. Another part of the business manufactures pools. Then I got a separate company, which is my personal brand, which is a speaking company. And I pay separate taxes on every single one of them, right? So they're definitely not combined. And what I have found is that 
I make it clear to the market from a personal level. Okay, let me let me just break down my strategy. And this isn't necessarily the right strategy for everybody. Sure. But again, I'm a big believer in this. Don't try to be a jack of all trades. Instead, try to be a master of one first, right? No different than we didn't become great as a company until we said, we're just going to do fiberglass pools. That's when we became great. The reason why we're so great with my digital sales and marketing company is because we solely focus on teaching companies how to do digital sales and marketing in-house. We're training an education company, right? It's a great, great model. We're not a traditional agency services company. Very different, right? We don't, do, we don't create your emails. We don't create your content for you. We teach you how to own it in-house. Different model, but it's very streamlined. We're good at that thing. We have a clear focus. And so with my personal brand, I live on LinkedIn. And so if you're listening to this right now, make sure you follow me on LinkedIn because I post one really quality piece a day. So similar to how I had a personal blog in 2009 that really started my career on the internet, today, that personal blog for me is LinkedIn. And through LinkedIn, I'm able to, once a week, I share a story about, at least once a week, about my swimming pool company, okay? At least once a week, I'm sharing digital sales and marketing advice. And so it's feeding each one of those companies that way. The awareness continues out there, right? And it continues to attract folks saying, hey, show me how to do that thing. Can you come speak at my event? Whatever that is. And really, the events just feed it all, right? Because you can have the best, call it agency in the world, but you get in front of one good group, one good audience, and you deliver one great message, you're going to get way more leads than you're going to do any other way. I mean, it's just so powerful. I miss those in-person days, and I look forward to getting back to those. Good thing is there's a lot of virtual opportunities as well. And there's been some doors open up too. You know, just the other day, Tots, this is funny, man. I spoke at 12.30 a.m. to a group in Asia for three hours. Mm. Then I spoke at 4.30 a.m. my time to another group in Australia. And then I spoke to, it was 11 a.m. to another group. And then at 1 p.m. I spoke to another group. So I gave four talks around the world to large audiences all in the same day. I couldn't do that before. In fact, I couldn't speak in more than maybe two places per week because of travel and logistics. So the reach there is really interesting. It's really powerful. And, uh, you know, this is the classic phrase, one door closes, another opens, right? And that's how COVID has been, really, for anybody that's paying attention. I'm not saying it's been easy, and I'm not saying there has been incredible hardship, because we've had our ups and downs. Everybody has. But there's no question, there's always opportunities that appear during hardship. Mm, That makes sense. Bigger impact. Always opportunities. So, uh, Marcus, uh, respectful for your time. Is there anything sort of you want to pass on that I did not ask? Uh, here's your free swing. T- tell us something. I give you just a couple thoughts, really quick, folks. And I'm glad you've listened to this. And Todd, I'm glad you've had me on the show. I think one of the struggles I see a lot of people making online is that they try to sound smart. And the moment you try to sound smart is the moment you start to look stupid online. You don't need to sound smart. The number one compliment I get, and I get over and over again, is you say things in a way that it's easy to understand. And I've always thought to myself, Todd, if somebody was listening to me 
on a stage or in a video, whatever, and they say, man, that guy there, he's a genius. I feel like I failed that person, that audience, because they might not see themselves as a genius. Therefore, it's unattainable. But if they see me and say, man, you hear what this guy's saying? Look what he did. It's just so obvious. And if he did it, why can't we do it? <sighs> now, now we've got something. Now we've got something. So again, it's dumb not to dumb it down. The way you impress is by allowing the light bulbs to come on. And then the path will just unfold before you. So if you're listening to this, hopefully somebody, somebody is saying to themselves, yeah, yeah, I don't need to try to sound smart anymore. I've got a path. Wonderful. Very wise words. Thank you so much for taking the time, Marcus. If you guys in the audience, please go check out Marcus's books. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's got a YouTube channel and, and obviously LinkedIn as well. So please go and follow and, and support him as well. Thank you, Marcus. Talk to you, the man. Appreciate it, brother. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.